Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 117, Coffee Talk, recorded October 19th, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Uh, this week, very little Linux. Uh, I, I, I have been teasing this for a while. I decided it was time to to uh, bring out all the gory details about the uh, the coffee project I've been working on uh, for a while. Uh, and you know, I've had a few people ask about it, and I've teased it a little bit. But So this time, this show is going to be all about, well, there'll be some tech news and some stuff there, but nothing, the, the actual topic of the show is is my... Uh, what I call crazy coffee, and we'll talk about where that name came from too. Cool. Um, Very cool. And uh, so that's that's where we are. It's it's just a, a frivolous, fun thing. I I thought about doing this like on the holidays, like maybe for a, a you know the Thanksgiving or Christmas around there, uh, and then thought, yeah, we'll just I'm just gonna go ahead and do it now because we're doing we're recording this on Saturday night instead of Sunday night as we ordinarily do, and it was kind of a last minute change. And rather than scramble uh, to get a topic, which we do every week, but we'll just go ahead and do this. And by the way, the we that I'm talking about, I forgot the ever important introductions. Um, my my <laughs> co-hosts of the show, those for with whom without whom I could not do this. Uh, beginning with the gooey kid, Mr. Seth Anderson. Hey, Seth. Hey, Mark, and welcome to the legions and legions of Element Opiites Everywhere. And continuing my reverse order intros, the command line godfather, Mr. Chris Neves. Hey, Chris. Good evening, ladies and germs, and are we having a good one or a bad one today? Ladies and germs, welcome to Henny Youngman's Vaudeville Show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and my name, as you may have heard, is Mark. Welcome to the show. We're glad to have you here. Uh, those of you who whine that there's not enough Linux in our Linux show, go ahead and turn it off right now. We'll see you next week. Um, those no, I've you, got yeah, one really a fun great one. Linux story. You do have one? So, okay, good. We'll... Oh, yeah, there's one that's really uh, all about Linux. That's our quota. That's the quota. We're good. We're done. Well, I Just said the one. after the Fedora <laughs> install one that we, we had enough to go a long time, and then we had went right around and had a, an interview of sorts with a developer. So we've been super Linux heavy on our Linux show. we got to back off a little bit there. We don't want to get too much chocolate in our peanut butter. Um, or am I the too only much one peanut butter in my chocolate. One? Yeah, I got it. <laughs> no. Um, so anyway, just, uh, what's going on in my way? One of the reasons we're recording, uh, this on Saturday instead of Sunday is this is, this is, uh, as, as we would call growing up, uh, in the, uh, the, uh, Texas, uh, cattle country where I grew up, um, this is foaling season, uh, lots of birthdays around October cause it's really cold mm -hmm. in January. I'll let you do the math on that. Um, but, uh, Chris has a birthday party tomorrow. I had a birthday party yesterday. Um, and we, it was amazing. We, we had this, uh, there's this pumpkin patch down the road. Great fall birthday thing to do. Uh, they have a hayride that's free that you can go out there and get a picnic table and it's free. Uh, and they have a petting zoo and it's free. And then you go out to the pumpkin patch and you pick pumpkins, decidedly not free. Um, and we thought, you know, we'll, <laughs> It'll be great. We'll do this. We'll get everybody like a little pumpkin. They're like a buck each, and they'll be able to take home thing. Um, and somehow we still managed to spend like three hundred bucks on all this free stuff. I'm not sure exactly how all that worked, 
Uh, but it was we had to have the pizza, and then we had to have the the decorations, and then the balloons, and and I don't understand this this relatively recent trend of goodie bags. I never got a goodie bag when I went to a birthday party. You don't you go to a party with a gift. You don't go to a party to get a gift. But every birthday, no our kidding. goodie bags seem to get more and more expensive. And it's like we're it's it's like a bribe. Please come to our party. We'll give you stuff if you do. Hmm. Sounds like a lot of tech well, conferences that I remember going to. <laughs> too. So my oldest turned 11 uh, this week. And so we're right now at this very moment, there are children sleeping over, quote unquote, sleeping over, meaning there's very little sleep taking place. So if you hear thumps and bumps and if I suddenly disappear, it's because I went upstairs to yell at somebody. Um, and that's what's going on <laughs> in my house right now. Chris, you've got a birthday coming up right around the corner as well. Yep. Yes, I do. My son will be 13 as of the tomorrow. If we're going to actually go by the hours of the day, it's like tomorrow at 10. But uh, here in about three hours, I was told by my, my mom who was over at, we were over there for prepping for my brother's birthday, which is today. Um, so my mom looked at me 13 years ago, plus three hours, and said, um, she needs to go to the hospital right now. Like, drop the fork, drop the, the, the frosting stuff, get her to the hospital now. And, and then, yeah, my son was born. <laughs> so, yes, my I will soon have a teenager, so I will probably end up with the bright gray hair or bald spot depending yes. on which way my family tree goes yeah i have some gray hairs in my beard which i for those of you watching i keep behind the the mic guard so you never see them and some appearing on the top of my head and <laughs> and when my kids are exasperating me i remind them i had none of these before i had kids you do the math yep, that's right that's right i will soon be with you sir but i have a feeling that because i'll be pulling my own hair out because of my teenager who's getting who is getting close to the teenage angst and issues like 9 months ago so yeah now it's official <laughs> yeah not looking forward to that and my 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 one other runt rant runt rant i have this week is curseyouaudible.com um <laughs> I, I became an audible describer just uh, just two months ago, and already it's ruining my life. Because not only do I get the subscription, the you know one credit a month is that I have, so I get one book a month. But they send me these um, daily deals, and most of them I can ignore, but some of them are just too good to ignore. Like um, I got the uh, the Hobbit. You know, it's a it's a it's a classic. I've read it uh, a couple of times, but you know the new movies are are being made. I, the the First one was released last year, I think it was, and there's another one coming up later this year. Um, the three movie set of The Hobbit. So I thought, yeah, I'll get, it was only a buck ninety five. So okay, I'll get that. It was fourteen hours or something like that. So um, holy crud, really? Yeah, it takes a while to read those books, and and the the reader, uh, Audible ordinarily, uh, I, well, I, I've only had a few experiences with them, but so far they've had good readers. But this one, he wasn't a bad reader. He was just very slow and deliberate <laughs> hence hence the reason it was 13 hours huh his delivery of the readings <laughs> and so i had that thing sped up at 1.5 times because uh, the audible app on android you can speed it up i had it sped up 1.5 times and it was still a little slow but if i went if i went to <laughs> 1.75 
he got a little chip monkey and I couldn't handle that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's some, sometimes the readers are just slow. Uh, but anyway, curse you audible. Cause I got my new credit just last night and I, I got the, uh, the next installment in the Enderverse series speaker for the dead. I, I've uh, done Ender's game and uh, Ender's shadow and now speaker for the dead. And I'm uh, like two chapters in and totally hooked already. So there's like 14 hours of my life, and it's really hurting my podcasting. That's the problem. I, I uh, not my yeah. podcasting, but my podcast listening. I'm really behind on my podcasts, and it's uh, there's just not enough hours in the day. I need to drive more. I guess the four hours a go. day I spend isn't enough. I don't know if I could, right. you know, bring myself to the point where I would want to spend more than four hours. Is that four hours one way or four hours total? Total. Well, it depends on the day. The, the minimum I ever right. am on the road is, is like 50 minutes each way. But it, it is routinely 90 minutes each way and sometimes more. Oof. Yeah, I, I think I'd, I I would have to go a little crazy if I had to go f- driving four hours a day just to get to and from work. Ask me how I'd far go I drive to work, Chris. Ask me how far I drive. That, what, five miles? 23 miles. 23 miles door to door. 90 minutes. That's rough. Yeah, I drive seventy I, I, miles door to door in ninety minutes. Yeah, I, I drive two door to door for work. Guess what? A whopping mile and a half. Yeah, you could walk it. <laughs> I do in the summer. Even in rough Canadian winters, you can walk a mile and a half. Yeah, you could if you really, really wanted to, or <laughs> had to. a really warm jacket. Because I know it, it's not the cold that ever bites you here; it's the wind. So we uh, were I mean, talking a little bit before we went on the air about, uh, about Chris's ink. He's getting, he's becoming the yes. tattooed lady, only not. Um, it's all over no, the I'm place. Not, I'm not that bad. We have a couple, not of, that bad. couple of new additions in recent days. Yes. The, uh, well, a couple of months ago, I got the one done on the right calf. And well, like I said last week, I was exchanging services. And so this is six days of healing and... You could barely, most of the people that have seen it with the last couple of days asked me how long ago it was done because it looks amazing for only being six days old. Um, no scar, no raise, no nothing. Uh, my tattooist is pretty much a magician because what he thought was going to be a two hour session turned into an hour, was only an hour and 20 minutes. And most of that I didn't, you know, I knew he was doing it, but it was that not quite feeling like a tattoo, like the last ones I've had. Yeah. I, again, I don't have any tattoos. So we had this conversation just at work. Somebody said, how, uh, what, what are your tattoos? It's like, it's assumed now, if you're of a certain generation, you're going to have tattoos. And I'm, I'm a little old for that. I, I you know, I, I'm not quite the hipster generation. Um, but it, it, the question was, you know, what's your tattoo or where is it? And I said, I don't have a two, tattoo for two reasons. Reason number one, I'm a tightwad, and they're expensive. And reason number two, I've never found something so cool that I want to look at it every day for the rest of my life. Well, to each their own. I know personally I will gladly um, – I'm actually now debating on what I'm going to get next because I have a couple of plans. The question will be is the almighty dollar and the almighty time that it's going to take to put these in. Um, the next ones are immensely more detailed in what they're going to get. Um, I just have to find something close enough to the what I want for the my artist to redraw them into something more unique because I don't want something just a cookie cutter picture yeah. for picture. 
And then the, the coworker asked me, what would it take for you to get a tattoo? And I said, well, pay for it. And she said, if I just laid 500 bucks on the table, you'd get a tattoo today. I said, yeah, I probably would. Yeah, Cause it's, that's the main <laughs> thing. Um, and so, uh, the, the question then was, what would you get? And so I thought about it for a minute. I said, probably Marvin the Martian. There you go. And not everybody would, would think that about me. I'm not, uh, you know, I don't look like a Marvin the Martian kind of guy, but there's a little backstory. I don't think I've ever shared it on the show. Excuse me while I sniff. Uh, Georgia allergies are killing me. Um, I've never shared it on the show, but I have hundreds of Marvin the Martian artifacts, just things, and I've never purchased or collected a one of them. It has become a thing where there was a, uh, well, here's the story. I was at, uh, it was in college. I was at some mutual friend's house, and there was a little Marvin the Martian uh, figure on the coffee table. And I picked it up and okay. said, he has stolen the Illyrium-238 explosive space modulator. I'm going to blow up the earth. And, and did my little, you know, because I, I'm, I like to do voices. And so somebody heard me do that, and it was like, oh, you're, you like Marvin. You, that was a great impression. Yada, yada. And then like Christmas, the gift that I got was a Marvin the Martian something. And then it became the thing. Everybody <laughs> got me Marvin the Martian stuff. And and so that spread to like people who were never there and didn't even know those additional people. They just knew like every Christmas and birthday, I get Marvin stuff. So now every, people even here in Georgia who don't know that, that was 20 years ago in Texas. And and now 20 <laughs> years later and in Georgia, it's just followed me. Every, oh, you, you collect Marvin stuff. Well, people collect it for me. Um, but you name it, I've got, I've got a Marvin the Martian, uh, uh, lava lamp. I've got a lunchbox. I've got Pez dispensers. I've got plush animals. You name it. I've got it. coffee mugs. Um, so I figured why not get the tattoo? There just you go. Cement it. The trifecta. Now the question would be, would you get just Mart? Would you just get him or would you get him and the planet and the little furry dude that goes with him or. I don't probably just like on my left arm. Right, on the bicep there, just Marvin uh, in that mean stance where he's got his fist in front of him and his head down. Um, I, that's <laughs> yeah. probably what I'd do as a tattoo because that, you know, that would be um, not offensive, you know, uh, aside from the copyright infringement issues. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things that's, that um, it can be shared in any, in any, to anyone in any situation. It's on a place that I can easily cover, but I also don't have to to be ashamed of it. You know, it's not like I have a, mm-hmm. uh, a naked woman or something. So that given the brief moment of thought there that my coworker gave me, that's, that's what I decided. Marvin, the Martian on the, on the left bicep. You, you, I, I got an idea. Marvin, the Martian on the left bicep and Gosmer on the right. So that way you get the double. Cause he was always yeah, with, that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's the thing. You start off with just Marvin the Martian, and then you've got the <laughs> right. entire Looney Tunes running <laughs> around true. all over your body. That it's- would be funny, though. I've seen that with uh, um, Marvel characters. Because then uh, you got to get Taz of- somewhere if you got Marvin. Yep. And then, of course, you got to get Bugs. Uh, yeah, I can see that. It just it just grows and grows. <laughs> and, you know, depending on the type of personality you are, you might end up with the whole welcome to your new addiction right. people. I get, so you then know, you end up with the roadrunner running across one butt cheek and Wiley Coyote <laughs> waiting for him on the other one. <laughs> you better find an artist you really trust. Because <laughs> that's one of those things that you can't see it and you can't sit for a while. 
I, I don't know if you're familiar with this, with this new technology, Chris. It, it hasn't been around too long. It's called a mirror. And it actually allows you to see parts of your body that you can't turn your neck to see. You might check check into that. Ah, uh, yeah, but the the yeah. While he's doing it though, you really can't see what he's doing. That's true. Or she. I guess there there are she tattooists now too. So there there was the, um, have you seen that new show on I think it's discovered called Bad Ink, where these guys yep. they recover one of yep. my, my favorite Dirk. I only saw one episode. But this woman got a a tattoo after breaking up with her boyfriend on her butt. She had the words "No regret" tattooed on her mm-hmm. butt, which seems like a pretty good regret right there. But the guy misspelled it and spelled it "No regrets." Yep. <laughs> and what do you do once yeah. it's there? Yeah. Um. I, my wife and I we watch that show all the time. And the funny thing is, Dirk is the tattooist, by the way, in case anyone didn't know his name. But uh. We were talking about how people, you know, remind us of other people when you watch a show like that. And the 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 bearded guy who's in there with him, and I always forget his name, um, Ruff, or Rufus or Rufus or Ruckus. That's it, Ruckus. Um, that's my wife's best friend, in just in man form. So because <laughs> he's a always he, he, he well if if you think about it. He's always getting Dirk into weird position, you know, things, you know, got to tattoo this guy because the wife hates the tattoo or some weird issue. Well, that's what my wife's friend does to my wife. She's always getting her into, oh, yes. Oh, yes. The trouble causer. That's definitely um, my wife's friend. It's funny. Speaking of trouble, you're having trouble with hard drives, I see here in the notes. Oh, yes. Stupid server hard drives because you know they don't ever give you any warning when they go out because you're never around to hear them tick or squeal or grind they just all of a sudden stop working because you know you're not in the server room to hear it and also there's all all that white noise from fans and air conditioners running you never hear the noises that indicate certain doom of hard drives indeed well i lost i lost three in 24 hours on the same machine wow no, different machines, so there's different workload, so that doesn't surprise me too terribly much that I lost a couple, but it was all, all the drives that were lost were luckily in a, in a raid of some form, so that way I'm not out of any data, but I now have to rebuild the, uh, one of the raids I have to rebuild from scratch because they don't make a hundred and se- I can't find, I should say, 173 gigabyte scuzzy drive yep but if you just put a larger one in there it should just limit it and keep on going i could right but what's the point where if i'm going to re if i have to rebuild the array anyway i might as well upgrade the raid not just because it's it's right now what is it raid it's three drives so that's which raid is it could be five or five yeah It's, it's a raid five so I figured if while well, I lost one of the drives already from the RAID 5, there's no sense in just rebuilding a RAID 5. I'll just bump it up to dri- six drives and be better. Yeah. And I get so more space then. So does it not automatically rebuild itself? It will. Right, it will. It will fix the... I mean, it will repair the RAID if I put a drive in there, but it's not on a right. mission-critical server it's something I can take down or migrate the services off of it. 
Um, so just use thank it God as for an virtualizing. Upgrade. Well, yeah, well, it, it's one of those things. It's the server itself that that was touching that RAID that was using it for the virtualizing pool. Um, it wasn't very old, so it's gonna it's gonna migrate through the the our upgrade path that we have for the next five years. So it's not gonna get looked at to be replaced until you know four years from now at least. So we might as well get it as stuffed full of hard drives as we can to last until it's time for its upgrade. One of my worst case scenarios happened one time. I had a RAID 5, and a RAID 5, any one drive can go out, and you've got your parity drive, and you're fine. So I popped in a new drive, and during the rebuild process, one of the other drives went out, and I lost the whole Oh, RAID. no. Uh, luckily, oh, I had no. backups, but still, that nobody wants that. Um. So from that uh, that point on, I always started going with RAID 6. RAID 6, you have to give up a drive, and it can be expensive, but in a RAID 6 array, any two can go down. Yep. Right. Yeah, that's that's where I'm looking at going is something like that, 6 or... Um, I'm not sure. I haven't, I haven't quite decided what level of RAID I'm going to go with for these drives, but I know it's not going to be 5. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure we did a show, a whole show about RAIDs, uh, if you're looking, mm-hmm. listening to this and don't remember, I don't remember what episode that was, but you should be able to go to elementop.com, search the archives, and find that. And we defined RAID, RAID 0, RAID 1, RAID 3, which almost nobody ever uses anymore, uh, and uh, 4 and 5 and 6. And, and so if you want to know what all that is, go back and look at that. But just to, to give you a, a really quick, like, one sentence, uh, a RAID is a redundant array of... Uh, of independent is what they've changed it to now uh independent disks uh so that you can use uh you can spread your data across more than one disk so an arrayed uh five array uh it doesn't have to take it doesn't take five drives but in a, in a five is just the, the level of raid so a raid five array array takes at least three disks and you can lose any disk any one disk in the system and the system will just keep going without any issues um Yep. Uh, and so it, it, it on a RAID 6, you have to have a minimum of four disks, and any two can die without having any issues. But typically, I do uh, five or six or seven drive arrays. The, the more you can spread it out, the better. Um, in terms of read, yeah. uh, you actually lose, uh, excuse me, in terms of write, you actually, no, I got it right the first time. You lose write speed when you stripe it across. The more disks you stripe it across, the slower it can write. But for the most part, in servers, is reading that you're interested in, particularly database-type servers. So uh, yep. striping more disks makes that actually faster. So that's that. we're not going to do that. Go back and listen to that other show. Yep. So that's that's what's been banging my head against the wall for the last three days is finding out that I lost drives and now trying to migrate the system so I can take it down and repair it and bring it back up bigger and better and badder and faster and bigger etc. And you have a bunch of guys named Jack around helping you with that? Is that what that is? <laughs> no. No, that would be the jack-o'-lanterns that we're carving this year. Ah. The current count is six. We're at six. So I'm curious to find out if I can beswaggle the wife to get some more because I have a new set of carving tools that I can't wait to break in. I, I bought cool. a pumpkin this year um, at the pumpkin patch. It just spoke to me. The shape of it and the the way the stem grows out, I saw a face in it immediately. I I, I generally I have I don't do this. I, I'm not. It's not general. I have never carved a pumpkin in my adult life. I did it a couple of times as a kid, 
as a kid. My kids do it, but it's just never been something that interested me. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm gonna do it this year just because that pumpkin she, she sang to me. <laughs> I love when that happens. And it was got, a she? like I said we. You were saying, <laughs> Seth? What? No, I was just saying it was a she and not a he. Uh, no, it was a he, but it was just seemed more appropriate to say she in that sentence. I don't know. Well, it could be a, his okay. muse. Was yeah, a she. Sure. The muse sang to me. That's what it is. But anyway, there it is. So we have two pumpkins. We have the family pumpkin that the kids will, you know, put stickers and stuff on and maybe carve. And then we have mine that, that I, I'm thinking I'm probably going to get the Dremel tool out and do some, some detail work on it. And I'm the most non-artistic go. person in the world. I'm closer to being autistic than artistic. So I, I have no <laughs> doubt that what I see in my head will be not in any way represented on the pumpkin. Uh, but, you know, at, we, they were like 90 cents a pound and it was a 15 pound pumpkin so it was like 12 bucks sure i'll try it see what happens yeah it's it's a worthwhile fun and it'll be good good bonding time with the kids so that's why we always do it um last year my son did maleficent the dragon from yeah that's what he carved with the stencil Um, you you put the stencil on and carved it out yep he he stenciled it and put it on and then not only did he carve it, but he also slenderized the uh, the leftover rind. So it was when you lit it up, it was truly just the the silhouette of Maleficent, which is really cool. That's cool. Took him six hours wow. to carve it. So what? And what, for a, a for a twelve year old at the time, I was impressed that he actually stood still and <laughs> yeah. carved for six hours. Um, what I'm we've curious taken to find to out what he does this year. Instead of using candles, because they can smoke up the the inside of the pumpkin and and they burn out, and you got to deal with those. And particularly um, these days, glow sticks are easy to find around New Year's Eve. So we just crack a couple of glow sticks and throw them in there, um, yep. and it they last all night. It looks cooler, I think, than a candle. You don't get the flicker, but you get that really eerie glow. So that's what we've been doing. We just uh, crack some glow sticks and and uh, throw them in there. And we had a couple of pumpkins out. Uh, last New Year's Eve, uh, excuse me, <laughs> New Year's Eve, uh, last Halloween, and we went out trick or treating, and we came back. Somebody had stolen the ghost sticks out of the the, uh, the pumpkins. <laughs> Who does that? They're like thirty seven cents each. Just go buy some glow sticks. That's funny. Yeah. Now we usually start them out with candles, so we for the pictures because we always take pictures every year of our of our pumpkins, and with the flicker in the camera settings, it, it usually turns out to be a pretty good picture. And then we end up with the uh, either the candle the uh, the candle lights that you plug in a, a battery into, okay, and then they light all night. Or um, we've done glow sticks, but a lot of times it's too cold to have glow sticks because they they kind of they don't quite freeze, but they don't glow very well either because it's a little chilly. Yeah, I don't have that issue here in the south. No, you know you don't. <laughs> cold ears i mean with the temperature the high temperature this week was in the mid 60s and people were wearing their sweaters it's like it's freezing out Ugh. there tell them to come up here and visit us for a little bit <laughs> yeah all yeah, right i think i think our, our our highs were 40s this week i think or something like that enough about that moving on to some listener feedback you guys responded and we have a few more brian has some name suggestions for yours truly he says, Mark, you've been mentioning that you don't have a nickname to go alongside the gooey kid and the command line godfather. I'm the one who made the initial comment about you not identifying yourself. 
And since I seem to have kicked off this whole discussion, I'll offer some ideas. Um, it says, how about calling yourself the head Linux user in charge, the HLUIC, in charge of the podcast anyway. Here's another possibility. If you're a distro hopper, Mark Twain wrote a short story about the celebrated jumping frog of Calaveras County. What about the celebrated distro hopper of Fulton County? Is that the right county for your town? Adjust as necessary. Actually, I live in <laughs> Cherokee County. Um, uh, and then he puts a link to uh, the celebrated jumping frog at the Twain Library. He says, you're from Texas. You could be Mr. Don't Mess with Linux or the Linux Cowboy. No, that one sounds weird. Uh, the Open Source Cowboy. Um, probably not. Thinking of Clint Eastwood, how about the High Plains admin? Go ahead. Make my disc. Well, those are some <laughs> ideas. I may not be anything useful there, but I do enjoy the podcast. Those were fun. That's awesome. <laughs> the Linux Cowboy. Mark the Linux Cowboy Cockroll. That's got a that's got some staying power. I like go ahead. Make my disc. That's good. Yeah, the high plains admin. Yes. I like that. The HPA. <laughs> oh, okay. And uh door to door geek. Per, per, perennial. Uh, commenter to the show uh, this week decided to be a hater he says hey guys great show but here's a chance to hate on me Mark my team made your beloved QB cry on the field and it was one of the happiest days of my life <laughs> Chris your team hasn't won anything in a decade which makes me very happy after your running back made my first round draft pick retire from football forever Seth who do you like the Yankees yeah friggin Yankees Keep up the great work, and thanks for the edutainment. And Mark, your nickname should be Next Year's Champions. Sorry, had to take one more stab. <laughs> Ouch. All right. Dad. Yeah, no, I I do not like the Yankees. I never have. Uh, so, sorry, Dor. Not a Yankees fan here. I'm a hometown homer. I like the Dallas Cowboys, the Dallas Mavericks, the Texas Rangers, and the Stars whenever I get around to watching hockey. So, yeah, there's nothing wrong with being a homer. <laughs> don't. Yeah, that's, that's me. <laughs> what I don't like it, though, is when the announcers on a national game are homers. That's no fun. But Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Moving right along, Matt writes in with an idea. He says, I'm a new listener. Oh, this, this made me laugh so hard. I'm a new listener and decided to start uh, with the shows from June and catch up. I heard the review of the Poop Log app and have to say my first thought was it must be, it would be great to make a Twitter or such dedicated to poop logging. The greatest or worst poops found in truck stops and other public restrooms. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> Matt, you know, I don't Matt, know if that would be a Twitter, but maybe it, that would probably be not a Twitter, but more of a Instagram. <laughs> yes, yes. So you travel, and so you open up the account, right? You'd have to have some sort of vetting thing because you could just have an open account or like an automated retweet or something. And so somebody goes to a truck stop, finds a loaded toilet, or maybe loads a toilet. Um, and takes a picture of it and uploads it to this feed, and it becomes the internet poop log. Oh, Matt, as Seth <laughs> says, you have found your home. The internet poop log. And he ends so his email. Funny, it should it. be done. He ends his email with, great show, I'll be a long-time listener. Oh. Awesome. And then young Jonathan it's writes in it. and asks about Linux careers. He says, hey, Mark, I just wanted to say great job with the show, and I appreciate your related and unrelated unre ramblings of Linux as well as Bacon. 
I'm a sophomore in college and plan to get my BS in computer and information science with a focus in security. I've been dabbling in Linux since middle school and am very passionate about it. My ultimate goal is to become a Linux security buff of some type. My question for you is, how can I mold my career to be Linux driven? I'm aware that employers want experience, but how do I go about obtaining experience, uh, Linux experience in the work field? Guys, you have any suggestions? Um, I guess the first thing I would say is since he's in college, maybe look into getting Red Hat certified. Um, that would be a good thing to put on your, your resume and would definitely give you a lot of Linux type experience learning how Red Hat wants your certification people to be. Um, my first but thought as far was, as like, go ahead, Chris. I was going to say the, you know, the other thing I would think of is definitely do, um, besides our, the Red Hat certification is, you know, listen to the show. We have a, a wonderful ad coming up in here in a minute of a great Indeed. place to learn a lot about Linux and learn a lot about, you know, how Linux works in the work field. And, you know, if you're going with a security as an, as a security type person, um, it might even be worthwhile to look into getting, you know, some of the penetration testing uh, certificates, the, the ethical hacker path or path for security. Um, or you could go, on the other side of that coin and look into being the architects of security networks to prevent the ethical hackers and non-ethical hackers from getting in. Um, there's, it's such a, that's such a broad question. It's hard to even narrow it down, but there's some food for thought at least. My first thought was contribute to a project. Pick your favorite OS and contribute. Yeah. You don't have to contribute code. There are lots of other ways uh, you can put that on on your resume. You can write documentation. You can contribute to their manuals. You can, uh, you know, there's 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 always things out there. Uh, people always think, well, I can't code, so I don't want to do. Uh, I can't contribute to a, a product. Uh, the fact is, you can. There's lots of other ways. But if you're a CIS major, you're learning to code anyway. So uh, it'd be a good idea to to, to uh, submit some code to to one or two or three. You know, get a, get get out there, uh, have your name in some um, some code bases somewhere, and put that on a resume. Uh, that will definitely get people's attention. Yeah, that would definitely work too. Um, maybe look into going over to uh, what is that? The Nmap guys. And see if they have any bugs or things need, that need looked at or written. Or um, Bugzilla is a good place to go if you need to find a place to find to you know make a name for yourself. Squishing bugs would definitely do a good job. Indeed. Um, Seth, you got any yeah. ideas? Uh, nothing that y'all haven't already said. You know, it's. One, one of the great things about Linux is you can just, you can set up a machine to be, uh, you know, whatever you want it to be. You can set up your own mail server. You can set up your own, uh, distribution thing. If you have one really good machine, you can set up a, a network through VMs and just play and practice all of those kind of things and get experience running things. Uh, one of the great things about the Linux Academy, which we'll be doing the official ad later on is it breaks down, you know, into real world things. Um, you know, not necessarily this in just one particular topic. And so you can practice on that one topic, but getting something and just start tearing it apart and working with it, you know, it install something 
and then configure it and do it again. There is, um, uh, I think it's called WebGoat is a project out there that it is out of date, unsupported versions of things. And you have to take that and you, and it goes through the process of, um, setting of getting everything up to date. Uh, one of them is called WebGoat, but there are several others out there like that. Uh, look around at that. That would be a great way to do because that's one of the biggest pitfalls of security is you set up something that is secure today, but three years worth of security vulnerabilities and patches never got applied to it. And while it was secure, now everybody knows how to get into it and hack it and you get called in and you need to secure that. Well, hey, this is what you do to get this up to date. This is what you do to get that up to date. And uh, so that would be something to do. Play around with out of date stuff and work on upgrading them uh, and fixing the things that are broken rather than just wiping it out and starting over that way that gives you not only experience um, and say you've done it, but that gives you the confidence to face similar situations in the future. Well, and since we've already invoked their name a couple of times, let's just tell you about the LinuxAcademy.com. Uh, our good friends over there, the uh, one and only sponsor of this show, uh, where you can uh, find all kinds of good information, step-by-step video courses and modules. And, and the, the thing has grown so much just in the last few months that we've been talking about them. I, uh, I have a hard time keeping my notes up to date. Um, but to just give you the basics, you go there and it's there's a bunch of videos. Um, you've seen other places like that, Khan Academy or just YouTube yourself, whatever, uh, where you can where you can learn uh, online. Well, the Linux Academy takes that one step farther. They have everything uh, correlated and broken down into uh, to courses. Uh, and so you can take this course on X, and it's a series of videos taught by real uh, real world professionals uh, who are experts in their fields, uh, and they show you these things. And while you're watching the video, there's a downloadable PDF study guide that you can use to follow along with them. They they have notes, um, uh, companion notes, and uh, and alongside that, they give you. Uh, some server space in Amazon's uh, uh, cloud. And so you have the virtual server there so that you can have the video up in one window and your own server in another window. And you can be emulating what you see the guy do on the video um, and seeing what happens in the real world. And because it's a virtual machine, because it doesn't matter if you mess it up, it's, it's, we encourage you to mess stuff up. That's how you learn. Uh, so you just blow away your server and start over again if you need to. Rewind the video, uh, you know, to the beginning and start over. Or, or even better yet, try to remember what you did from from the start and get to where you are. Uh, and then when you're done, when you've watched the course and you've experimented on your own server, you can take a quiz. They have an online quiz module about what you just did. That'll let you uh, understand uh, how well uh, you understood to be redundant. Uh, it'll track your knowledge. And then they have the, this, uh, um, uh, quiz tracker that, that lesson browser, they call it that tracks your quizzes, tracks your videos and correlates the two together. So I took this video, I scored this on the quiz. Um, I feel pretty confident in that one. So I'm going to go here and I'm going to do look at this and you can see your, uh, your progress or they have what they call, um, 
uh, Linux uh, Academy for Teams, your boss, for example, can track your progress. Say he gave you an assignment to to master these skill sets, or your teacher uh, maybe said this is what you need to do. Uh, he can track your progress there uh, on the lesson browser, and 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 you can do one thing at a time, or you can do a whole course and say I'm going to take this course, or you can do a module, which a module is a collection of courses. And they they started out on the server side, and now they're moving into the desktop side. Their first module was Intro to Linux. So it takes you every all the way back to you know uh, Linus and his beginning of the thing, and gives you some history and some background, and tells you um, about the thing. And then you start uh, on a desktop machine, no longer just for the world of servers. And so the Intro to Linux module is just that for a guy who doesn't know anything and is starting out. They've also got the uh, uh, LPIC license uh, 101 module. So LPIC is a is a professional license um, that you can get to say I am. I'm a certified Linux user. It is an industry-recognized license, and they have a module specifically geared to those course, those tests. So by the time you take this module and have scored well and understood it, you can go take this test and get a real-world certification. All that awesomeness for just $19 a month. That's it. Less than a couple of pizzas a month. $19 a month uh, for for access to all this stuff. But if you buy two months, there's such wheelers and dealers over there, they'll throw in a third one for free. So you can buy $38 a quarter. But maybe you're not willing to whip out, uh, whip out a whole $19. Maybe that's just a little too rich for your blood right now. And that you're just not so sure. You've got some Starbucks you need to buy, and $19 could go a long way. Actually, $19 won't go anywhere at Starbucks. But anyway, maybe you're not so sure about that. How about a buck? How about you just throw It'll up a dollar? It'll go out of your pocket at Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. You put a dollar out there, and, and they'll give you a 14-day free trial. Full access to everything they've got. Go in there, watch every video you've got, download every PDF they've got. Just gorge yourself at the all-you-can-eat buffet of learning for a dollar for two weeks. And then if you like it, and I know you're going to, you can pick it up and pay them the other 18 bucks and, and get the rest of the month. So $19 for a month, $38 for a quarter. And trust me, people. You cannot find better learning at many places on the internet, and you can't find better learning anywhere at these prices. You just can't. Yeah, no kidding. That's yeah, j- yeah. <laughs> I just going to say, go in a Google Linux bootcamp and see how much the prices run you. And when you go to those things, it's short, and everything is ultra focused, and you really need to know what you're talking about before you go there. Uh, this gives you a chance to do it, and if you don't none, if you don't understand something, you can rewatch it again because I know sometimes I just don't catch it the first thing through, and I don't need somebody to break it down real stupid like I just can I see it again now that I kind of have the big picture. Uh, so this is a chance to go at your own pace, and then there's the forums and the community help that's available there. And for the, you can get, you can amass, I don't want to say, um, I don't, what's the right word I'm looking for? You can amass technical proficiencies in a very short period of time that will get you marketable skills in today's market. You know, this isn't something go through four years and then maybe you can start out at an entry level somewhere. You can be through this at your own pace and jump in the, uh, jump in the IT pool. And these aren't going to be videos produced by some 14-year-old in his bedroom. These are actual Linux professionals, professional educators uh, doing this. So it's a higher quality of learning than you're going to get if you just hop on YouTube and go to town. 
linuxacademy.com. Yeah. Check them out. Use the the code Everyday Linux in the uh, referral box when you get there. Let them know you found it about us. Uh, found out about them through us. Um, Chris, and I I can honestly say for me, it's definitely um, command line approved. A lot of their stuff they go through is the, the exact way you're supposed to do it. So definitely, if you want to learn command line tools, they're a good place to go to learn how those tools do work and how they work in the, the all-powerful switches that you need to make them work. I promised Anthony a 30-second ad each week. Um, I don't think we've given him less than a five-minute ad ever. It's just because there's so much, and we believe in it so much. Uh, so, yeah, you, yeah, you, definitely. There, there's no way to there's no way to condense what they do in thir- in thirty seconds. So, you know, at least go look. You'd be amazed what's there. I was. All right. So moving on to our uh, listener feedback, Tony has a show suggestion. He says, hey, guys, just got done listening to your latest show and enjoyed your interview with Gabriele Martina. I thought it was a unique and interesting way to conduct an interview and look forward to other interviews. A couple of things. Please tell Seth to keep up his links of the week. They're definitely appreciated. But please find the attached two medical bills for damage inflicted from his link to the chat has hit the fan. One for the ear bleeds I got, and the other from the therapist I had to see after listening to Seth say, I love you, William Shatner. I think that was damaging to many of us, Tony. Go ahead, Seth. I was going to say, you know, he brings such joy to my heart listening to him. I can't help but get a soul-cleansing laugh. <laughs> and I mean, come on. How many people could do that for you? There, you got to love somebody that can do that. After you too can love William Shatner. Just say it. I love you, William Shatner. After that show, I went on to YouTube and just had a chat fest. <laughs> And and listen to uh, Mr. Tambourine Man and Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and Iron Man and uh, every one of them better than the one before in its badness. Um, so yes, William Shatner has brought joy to many of us. It was the, the you just have to see the video. Uh, the, Mr. Tambourine Man was. It sounded like he was hailing a, a New York tech. Hey. Mr. Tambourine Man! Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man! It's, it's just only Shatner could do that. Only the Shat uh, and, and, could do that. And yep. then after you've watched, after you've watched about or gone through about five or ten of them, go find the YouTube skit or the YouTube where they posted his guest host and he's at the Star Trek convention and him just telling us people, you people need get to a get a life. Yeah. And the, he's awesome. Yeah. He is awesome. All right, continuing on with Tony's email, he says, As for a show idea, I did not know if you would find it interesting to do a spot on Linux programs used to conduct computer forensics, such as Paladin, Raptor, and Kali. I know they probably wouldn't be for the everyday user, but Paladin and Raptor may come in handy for those inclined to explore the strange new worlds and seek out new life and new civilizations. I'm not familiar with any of those things, but uh, we can certainly add them to the list and uh, maybe make some uninformed and generally useless commentary about them. Well, I know Cali. That was the old backtrack. Okay. All right. So that that one, that one isn't, uh, but I'm never, I haven't played with Paladin or Raptor, so I'll have to explore some new worlds and seek out new life. 
Uh, I was just going to say, uninformed commentary is something we excel at, Mark, so we'll put that in the queue. Yeah, nobody does it better than <laughs> us. Nobody um, bloviates better than I do. Uh, look it up. It's a word. Uh, and then Stephen writes in with a simple link to offer mathematical proof that bacon makes everything better. It's a link to a Wired Magazine article that I'll put in the show notes that says math pro proves bacon is a miracle food. And and somebody spent way too much time crunching actual numbers um, based on uh, surveys and tweets and all sorts of stuff. And uh, basically... Um, <laughs> Bacon has uh, has been a fad that has come and gone uh, for for a long time, and I have a feeling it's not going to well, go anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, and you could do all of these numbers, or you can just go watch the YouTube video, rub some bacon on it. I mean, it'll <laughs> tell you the same thing. So rub some bacon on it. Uh, that yeah, that was a fun one. Check that out, Rhett and Link. Rub some bacon on it, and finally. Uh, is it finally? I think this is the last one. Yes. Lance voices his support for Vim. It says, hey, Mark, Chris, and Seth, like all positive fan emails, I'll start with some excessive encouraging adoration. I love the show. I really look forward to it each week. It's the best one on my list. Okay, now that that's out of the way, I'd like to voice <laughs> my support support for Chris and his use of Vim. Mark has stated before that nobody likes using Vim. and I stand by that statement. The truth is that I love using Vim. No, you don't. You just think you do. I do so on a daily basis. I use Vim with a mod that gives it wiki functionality to sort all of my notes and research. I use Vim to write articles, notes, Python, and Bash scripts. I use it to manage my Linux server config files. Vim is insanely powerful and has more possible uses than most text editors I know of. However... Uh, I am, excuse me, whenever I'm on my Linux Mint laptop, I have two terminal sessions open, one with Vim and the other with any number of awesome command line tools. It may sound like I'm a Linux guru from way back, but the truth is I only got into Linux last year. I came from using Mac, so you know I had no idea how to use the terminal. Now I run Linux to for more control and pure awesomeness, and it pretty much is all I ever use. I'm hoping to become a Linux sysadmin someday soon. Finally, I just wanted to say that I love what you guys talk about on the show. I like hearing about coffee and smoker projects, and I like hearing about new tattoos and weird websites, all sprinkled with just the right amount of the best <laughs> OS in the world. Thanks for all you guys do. Pseudo, keep it coming. P.S. I hope I'm on the pseudoers list. You know, Lance, Maybe. I just got to say, you came from a Mac that proves you're crazy. <laughs> so... um you know, of course, you would like Vim because <laughs> Macs, you lose all ability to think rationally whenever you buy a Mac. That's the first thing they take out of you. <laughs> that email was <laughs> dripping with, with geek buzzwords. He may have been a Mac user, and he may say he's a novice Linux user, but this dude is a hardcore geek. And only oh, yeah. the hardcore geeks like Vim. If you're using Vim with a mod that makes it speak wiki language so that you can keep up with it, yeah, you are you are in that one half of 1%, dude. <laughs> you are not an everyday Linux user in any way. But we're glad I to think, have you on board. I think it's awesome that he's using Vim with the wiki mod. That is hilarious. I've never heard of anyone actually using that mod except for the guys who developed it. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> Right. I'm going to have to look at it again. Oh, and I was going to say, Mark, I threw the link in here for the WebGoat project I talked about, so uh, we can include that in the notes. If, uh, you know, and Lance might look at it too if he wants to be a Linux admin. He can practice securing uh, the WebGoat project as well. Cool. So there you go. 
two for one there on the listener feedback. All right. And of course, having wasted, not wasted, um, invested an hour into the intro of the show, let's get into the tech news. Uh, and as usual, Seth has come up with far more than we could discuss in a three-hour podcast. So we're just going to hit some of the best ones. Uh, and because we are um, sometimes hard on Google and sometimes Google fanboys, let's start with a Google story. Yeah, uh, you know, we there was a few weeks ago we talked about how maybe Google was kind trying to possibly going away from open source and some of the things they were doing well now they will pay you up to three thousand dollars for your open source software patch um it's kind of a neat story so it's not like they're not paying you to give them the patch they're paying you to go to you know like um red hat or open ssh or open ssl or something like that and if your patch gets approved and rolled into the distro, then you can contact them and they will pay you out on it. So, you know, I mean, got to give it up to Google. And it's one of those things by them, by you securing those projects, you're making the internet safer for everyone. So, and just a few of the things that they will I, pay you to fix open SSH, bind, ISC, DS, DHCP. Um, uh, libjpeg, libjpeg uh, turbo, libpng, um, giflib. If you're a geek who's done any coding, you know what these things are. A Chromium mm -hmm. Blink, OpenSSL, Zlib, uh, the Linux kernel, including KVM. If you fix any of those things, Google will pay you. By the way, Google doesn't own any of those things except Chromium. Uh, that's that's yeah. their thing. But they're invested in Linux, and so if you make Linux better, you make Google better. Yeah. And you make everyone happy. Yes. Just how so, it works. And since the web borders on Linux, you make you make everyone's better. And uh, so there's your answer to the previous question. How do I get uh, experience? Uh, go get Google to pay you to fix some of this stuff. No um, kidding. Especially if you're a big coder and you like coding with some of this stuff, you know, go at it. Find these the bugs that are, you know, Bugzilla. Like I said earlier, Bugzilla would be your biggest friend here. Because I'm sure almost all of those projects have a Bugzilla or a bug tracker of some sort. So yep. jump in feet first and code some projects and get some awesome money back. <laughs> uh, and then the next story is interesting. Uh, thieves broke in recently to a local Nordstrom's department store and didn't take anything. Yeah, and they um, they went back and was able to look on the video. And what happened is they kind of did it in two waves. Number one, they kind of go up to the counter and their one person distracts the clerk and the other person kind of looks at the, uh, you know, a lot of POS systems, which stands for point of sale, among other things. Um, some POS systems are nothing more than regular off the shelf computers and others are, you know, modified computers specifically to be acting those devices. And so they would look at it and see what kind of connection op it had and then they would come back at some time later and put in basically like um a key a key logger or a, a skimmer of some type on there and so any access that goes through that computer they're able to skim and capture off the top and then they can use that you know you get credit card numbers you can get information for identity theft and other things um so in this particular instance 
the security people were able to look and see what was done. Uh, and so they weren't able to get anything off of it. But, you know, if, if they were caught here, where else have these or other people been, uh, and haven't been caught? You know, it's one of those things. Um, it's very common on ATMs, especially, um, you know, maybe that aren't, don't have tons of foot traffic all the time. They'll put a device on front of the face that will that will capture your credit card number before you run it through and then the same thing it um, pumps as well and we covered a story back mm-hmm. uh Barnes and Nobles uh had something similar to this or there was a there was a vulnerability in the Barnes and Noble software that they were able to capture that information and I don't remember how but I just thought it was an interesting story that you know now thieves are breaking in but they're not stealing stuff they're stealing transaction information. So, yeah, I I read a story. Um, this was uh, like Cold War area espionage. Um, there were some hotels uh, that were either Russian owned or Russian controlled, uh, not necessarily in Russia. And in the rooms, they had uh, uh, shredders where you could shred your documents, but they installed scanners that scan the documents before you shred them. So you put your piece of paper in that's super sensitive. It scans it, stores a copy, and then shreds it. Um, so it's Sneaky. you know it's pretty easy to steal information. And in, in the information age, that's more important than, than physical goods. Yeah, no kidding. I'm impressed it's such a low-end tech, you know, for them to just slap a keylogger into the, uh, um, the, you know, one of those inline keylog fobs. Or something similar. That's a pretty low grade or low tech way of doing what they're doing. Um, it, it, very intriguing to say the least. Speaking of low grade tech, how about the Raspberry Pi? A simple processor doesn't do much. Only costs thirty five bucks. How many people do you think would buy something that's so low powered? Yeah, Way too many. Sales of the Raspberry. Yeah, sales of the Raspberry Pi are over one and three quarter million. Uh, and this story is a little old by now. So I'm sure at least one or two more have been sold since then, but, uh, 1.75 million sales in less than two years. So, you know, a year and a half because it was launched in early 2012. Um, anyway, I just thought, you know, this is one of those things that really now, you know, I mean, computers are accessible. To pretty much everyone. I mean, it's twenty five bucks, people. Uh, you you can have a computer if you want one, and it's not expensive. No, granted, you know this isn't your, you know, octo octo core, you know, with petabytes of RAM and everything. But you can do everything you need to do on a Raspberry Pi. Uh, yeah, I think most people can do everything they need to do on a Raspberry Pi. They just may have to wait a little bit. Um, well, I mean, possibly. you know, you, you hook up to Facebook <laughs> <Yeah>. and uh <laughs> really what else do people do these days anymore? They Facebook and they tweet. Um and if you've got a good Android device, you might take a look at your poop log once in a while, but <laughs> And you you podcast, <laughs> of course. Listen to podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Um All right, moving right along. This is a couple of stories that we didn't get to last week, and I want to make sure we get to them this week because it's interesting. Um many of us, particularly in the geek set, are invested in PayPal. Uh, PayPal was one of, if uh, I'm not going to say the first, but it was the first successful online payment system. It, right, eBay and PayPal sort of made each other. Uh, neither would be what they are today if it weren't for the other one. Uh, and a lot of people have been looking into this contactless payment thing. It's big in Europe uh, still today. Google uh, tried to get into it with a Google Wallet, and 
with you know various uh, levels of success and now paypal is trying to get into that simply walk into the store and money is taken out of your paypal account but in a good way yeah they um you know there's a couple of different ways they can do it one is kind of like uh the beacon system where it it notices that you go into the store and it's a lot like um let me see what was the movie with tom cruise minority, uh, minority report, report. You know, where they walk in and like it would scan your eyes and say, hello, Mr. Johnson, today we have so-and-so for you. So, you know, I mean, it's not quite like that, but that's, I mean, that would give you the idea of what they're trying to do with their beacon system, which I personally, not a real big fan of the beacon system because, you know, that that offends my tinfoil visor. (laughs) And then the other one, (laughs) yeah, the other one they're doing is um, it's a payment code where it'll you can look and you can see what you want and then you can um if you have a paypal app on your phone you can put in how much it is and it'll do a qr code on your phone that then the cashier can scan and then it, they will take the so you don't have to have cash you don't have to have a credit card they can just take it straight from your paypal so you know you walk into you know wally world or cvs or whatever ultra hipster hippie loving thing is popular this week and buy your uh buy your curds and whey and kale and all this other healthy stuff. And then you can just do your little PayPal thing and you can show them your phone and they can scan it with their gun. And then, um, you know, that's how you pay for it. So it's pretty neat. I, I kind of like that, you know, because there's some places that don't take discover card or American express or any credit card, but if they have an email address, then they can take your PayPal. Yeah, I noticed when I was at Home Depot recently, they that's one of the options on their little checkout thing now is PayPal. So you punch the button huh. uh, for PayPal, you put in your email address, and pay for it that way. And it's kind of cool. Yeah, um, that is neat. Well, yeah, and and now they have your email address to spam you. So yes, it's a win-win yes. for them. They they could turn around and sell that so uh, and make even more money off of you. Just today, I uh, used my Google Wallet on my phone for the first time. Google Wallet had been uh, limited to a number of uh, a small number of phones because it required NFC, uh, and, and the idea was there's an NFC near field communication pad uh, that you touch your phone to, and it makes the transaction. Well, they've removed that. I don't have any money in my Google Wallet, but one of the things I was able to do was hook up my Kroger Rewards card to it. And uh, right. if you're not familiar with how that works, Kroger Rewards Card, for every dollar you spend on X, you get a discount of Y. Uh, and one of the things they do is is gas. And they have a network, so you can buy it at the Kroger store or at any Shell station. I happened to fill up at a Shell station today. I pulled up my, uh, my Google Wallet. I tapped my Kroger Reward Card, scanned the barcode that my phone generated, and got $0.10 cents per gallon off on my gas. Um, so that was all very cool uh, to be able to do that yeah. just right there on my smartphone. That is very cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I bought 26 gallons of gas. So, you know, it didn't save me a ton of money, but, you know, 260 is 260. I'll take that for scanning a card on my wallet, you know, and, and yeah. letting them track everything my wife buys and where I travel and where I buy gas. And, and okay, maybe I'm rethinking this a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nothing for Just a little? Uh, so... Since we were we were uh, positive about Google, let's be a little negative about Google. A lawsuit has a, has uh, accused Google of wiretapping. 
Yeah, and this is, you know, everybody knows that Google does this, but, you know, it wasn't until recently that somebody had a brainstorm and thought, hey, we can sue them for it. But if you, um, if you have Gmail, you know, and you, uh, you get a message and you open it up, well, based, you know, they scan automatedly, you know, it's not like there's, it's not like they hire a group of people to read your email, but they, they scan your email for keywords and then, show up advertising on the screen based on those keywords. So, you know, if we were, if Mark and Chris and I were emailing about Linux and technology and computers, then, you know, we might see things for HP or Tiger Direct or Amazon computers or something, you know, that is going to be like that. So, well, somebody got the idea that, hey, what they're doing um, is amounts to the same thing as wiretapping, because if I am a Hotmail user, I have not given them consent to scan my email. Whereas any Gmail user that's in the terms of agreement, if you don't like it, don't use Gmail. But me sending from Yahoo or Hotmail or, you know, whatever else is out there, AOL, I have not given you consent. And so it is... um you're wiretapping and that's illegal. And so they're suing you for it. And the thing is the judge ruled, they didn't rule that it was wiretapping, but they ruled that it's enough to go to trial. So they did. The case wasn't dismissed. Google filed for a dismissal with like, Hey, this is crap, but in legalese. And the judge <laughs> said, no, it's not really crap, but again, in legalese. And so, you know, there'll be a court date, maybe a settlement. And, um, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, yeah, that that's interesting because wiretapping is only well the the law that they would be uh, saying is only a, a U.S. law, and Google is a multinational corporation, but it's headed in the U.S. So it, it, I think it'll be interesting to see what the jurisdiction jurisdictional uh, rulings are. Those things are always interesting because mm-hmm. the internet uh, is is not an American thing. You know, and in fact, uh, it, I don't think we have uh, a story here anywhere. But um, just uh, in recent days, a number of organizations have taken steps to to overtly say the internet is an American thing. Like ICANN, for example, uh, the and IANA and the E I E T E. What is that? E I T F. What is that? Anyway, the the engineering, the EE something, something, something. Anyway. um, Oh, the IEEE. I'm sorry, what? IEEE, the uh, International Engineer something, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, these organizations all got together and put a sort of a resolution to say the U.S. has had control of the Internet long enough. It's time to start globalizing that. Um. And these are all, you know, they're NGOs, they're non-governmental entities, uh, organizations, but uh, they're just now sort of uh, asserting that, obviously, in response to the NSA information that's that's come out. But I think it's interesting that that the the internet has, you know, America as a country invented the technology that became the internet, and we have controlled it largely for a long time, if indeed, if not in word. And now they're, you know, that's changing. And so lawsuits like this, citing an American law against an American company, but it's an internet company. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know me, I love a good conspiracy theory, um, you know, just to talk about. Uh, but I mean, come on, guys, this is about the dumbest thing ever. Um, it's just stupid. 
you need to uh, yeah. you need to get over yourself. Uh, but, you on know, this technically, thing. Right. It, it, <laughs> it, uh, technically, but I mean, I but here's right the thing. But how many times is your email message scanned by routers, by gateway devices yeah, for spam, for viruses? You can't. If this is illegal, then it's illegal to scan your email for a virus. It's illegal to run it through a spam filter through any intermediate organization. It, all of that is illegal if this is illegal. I think well, would be and, a very but email easy is plain argument text. to make. But I mean, well, email is yeah. plain text, so there's nothing really, it, it, you can't slap someone's oh. hand with a legal document if you're handing around a giant billboard with what you're typing to somebody. Yeah, but you telephone know, conversations are not encrypted either. Landline phone conversations, but you have to have a warrant to wiretap, and wiretapping is illegal. Um, but you don't have to uh, have... It's not illegal to stick up a, an antenna and suck in a cordless phone conversations. So I bet that's probably the... Ta- the the tack they'll take because it's not you're not technically tapping a wire which is what makes wiretapping mm-hmm. illegal you're tapping somebody else's property that so I, i'm gonna i'm interested in following this one yeah, that's why i said yeah. it'll be interesting I mean, to see which way it goes um i, I it, of course it, i agree it better with you, Seth. go down the drain yeah i agree with you said it's it's bogus it's stupid uh but stupid has been the basis of a lot of laws in a lot of countries <laughs> throughout much of history so it'll be yeah. interesting yeah. And, to see. And, you know, based on things I've seen in the news, I'm kind of withdrawing my longstanding notion that eventually common sense will break out or uncommon sense. <laughs> so it, since I am withdrawing my notion for uncommon sense eventually winning, I'm, I got to say I'm kind of worried over this one as well because, you know, maybe uncommon sense could start here, but I, I don't, I don't think so. Um, so what you're saying is stupidity uh, could still reign supreme for a much longer time. Unfortunately, and in that vein, Google could actually lose this lawsuit. That's um, true. <laughs> well, let's talk about something clever then. How about hack, uh, uh, pirates going all high tech? I mean, Uh-oh. real pirates. Pirates with eye patches and, and cutlasses, not the pirate bay. Yeah, there is... Um, there's vulnerabilities in the automated identification system, which is an international system for broadcasting ship locations. Um, there've been numerous things that have shown not only how insecure it is, but that it can be broken for, you know, less than a thousand dollars for some places, just a couple of hundred. Um, and you can brought, you can basically break into a, a ship's information system and convince it that it's following the wrong location and divert it uh, to another location. Or um, if you're in technology, you've heard of man in the middle attacks. Well, there's one attack uses man in the water alert and it's, it's an, using an emergency transmitter to lure ships, you know, cause in, in the ocean, if you broadcast an emergency, hey, I'm, I'm sinking, you know, we're taking on water, we're going down, then ships in the area kind of break their course and come to you. Well, what's to stop a pirate from broadcasting? Hey, we're sinking, we're going down. So here comes this merchant ship, uh, to render aid, but instead they get, they get boarded and held hostage by pirates. So 
Um, there's several, and it's, you know, again, it's not necessarily done with bullets, but you can all do it through technology now. And, um, the technology that is so widely used is so insecure. And that is a big, uh, it's a big vulnerability in the maritime commerce of the world. And see, that's an issue. So many systems were built without thinking about security. The, the question is, could we do it? Can we do it? And how can we do it? And so you do that, and oh, cool, this works. Let's let's make let's get it to market. Let's sell it. Hey, this is really cool. Let's start using it. And then it's like, oh, whoa, now we got to figure out how to to secure it. And you got to go back. and And email is a great example of that. The most of the internet yeah. email was built to be just open, and it was just how can we get these machines to talk? How can I get a message from here to there? How can I build this uh, packet switching network with autonomous uh, switching? How can we do it? All right, good. We've done it. Now what can, What else can we do with it? Oh, good. Let's build on that. And then we go back and figure out, uh-oh, <laughs> what have we done? Bad things here. Yeah. Um, right. We forgot and, to We forgot to change the passwords. Right. That, you know, how many times have we heard that one? And that's why we talk about, uh, you know, Linux being the more secure uh, OS because it was built with security in mind from the ground up. Uh, Windows and Mac both. Um uh, we're not, and sort of Mac did a, a real uh, big reboot and went back to uh, a Unix baseline, and so they got they inherited that. Uh, but the earlier stuff, like System Seven and and before that, were just as as leaky. But in you were not in a connected world, right? Windows was great until you plugged it onto the internet. Yep, and so right. Uh, you know, Unix was designed to be multi-user, so those things were built right in, and and. That you see this everywhere. You see, you know, uh, car door locks, the early early radio controlled door locks, uh, and garage door openers is another good example. The the early garage yeah. door openers used uh, didn't use an encoded signal. It was just a simple uh, signal that anybody could buy a garage door opener and uh, just walk down the the street and see what it opened. And yep. I don't lock the door from my kitchen into my garage. Do you? Not many people do. So once you get the garage door opener uh, open, you're you're golden. And so we had to learn that lesson and go back and fix that. Fortunately, a garage door is pretty easy to fix. Uh, the, uh, an entire globally in use nav- maritime system, not so much. No kidding. Right. That's gonna. It's gonna be a major be- rebuild of this and a reimagining in order to get it to be secure. Right. And it'll be interesting to see how they go about fixing it since it's, you know, it's been around forever and everyone expects it to work one way. And if it, if it deviates in any function, it's not going to be well accepted. And, it, and it's going to nope. be expensive. Uh, somebody's going to oh, yeah. have to pay for this, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. Like and so somebody's thing. running. Yeah. Somebody's running an actuarial table. How much will it cost to fix this? How much do you think we'll lose the pirates um, until the how much do we lose the pirates greatly exceeds the how much to fix this? We're going to lose stuff to pirates. Yeah. Uh, yep. And and that that kind of math is run all all the time. There there are tables. With how much is a human life worth? You know, it's going to cost this much yeah. to yep. in, implement this safety thing. How many people do have to die before it's worth it? Uh, and then you have to look at who's going to die. It it's kind of tragic, but uh, in most, uh, I, I certainly know the American system. In most global uh, legal systems, the least valuable person uh, uh, is a child. 
because children don't work. You can't, you can't, uh, there's no standing. You can't say I've lost anything. There's no lost wages. There's no lost, um, you know, productivity. Kids, you know, don't have any value, uh, in the legal system. And so if a kid dies, that's worth less than if, a uh, a woman dies. And if a woman dies, that's worth less than if a man dies. Um, and these, these things, as crass as it is, these calculations are happening every day. And it's, yeah, um, after I had a good friend of mine just get hurt on the job, um, he works oil rig, got his hand smashed. You know, he, he lost part of his pinky, but, you know, it's, he's going to, you know, he lost functionality of his hand for a long time, for at least six months. So now what? He's not going to be able to do the same job because, you know, he's in that position. So it's, it'll be interesting to see everything that happens. And, and those, those tables are everywhere in there. It's sickening when you think about it. But they have to be there. Right. It's all data. Everything comes down yep. to data at some point. All right. Moving on to something a little more cheery. No. No, it's not. Um, the NSA uh, has been a boon to the German internet business economy. Yes. Um, apparently, there's this uh, German, you know, because if you go, like, if you have a Yahoo or a Google or a msn email address um you know that's based in america and, and granted they are multinational companies but they're based in america and they're pretty much american companies well according to a new report in der spiegel germany's major internet service provider has seen a surge of new users in the wake of edward snowden's revelation about u.s entering internet monitoring uh the german isp freenet in particular has seen an 80 percent growth in new customers over the past three weeks so you know it's one of those things it's like oh my gosh the nsa is you know out there we got to secure ourselves but the thing is just going to a german thing if you've been following what the nsa has been doing that doesn't necessarily make you more safer (laughs) or more secure from their prying eyes but it's that thought that oh it's non-american so therefore it's going to be more secure um uh or more not and secure is the wrong word there but safer from a, the NSA spying on you all right Which, so now we're going to skip over yeah. the next 12 stories I'm not kidding. I counted 12 stories in the news, and we'll come over to those next time. We're going to hit one last thing because uh, we talked about this before. Google Fiber has changed their uh, licensing term to now explicitly permit home servers. Yeah, we talked about this, and... You know, and it wasn't so much what they were doing. It's it's what the thing said, and it was just written very stupidly for someone in the internet business. You know, it, it would be one thing if you're not doing internet and you just wrote, but again, they're Google, they should know better. And it was what they were trying to do was we don't want you running a business off of your home uh, account. And so eventually they probably will have business accounts, but they have rewritten their terms of service to state that home servers uh, are not, um, they are not included in the banning servers. It's only like if you're attempting to run a uh, business off of them. So, and you know, again, we just, we talked about it before and we just wanted to throw this follow up out there. Yeah. And it's just about time. They should have done this. They copied and pasted the wrong contract. That's all there is to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And moving right along this week in computer history, somebody did something. 
Yes, October 20th, so this will be Sunday, tomorrow from the recording, three days ago from the dropping. The U.S. accuses Microsoft of violating their pact, forcing IE browsers on all computers. So this is the whole reason that, you know, in Europe and stuff, it ended up being, you know, you have a choice to not to not have IE has your browser. Um, Because if you remember... In the early days of the internet, Microsoft's IE was crap and some things have never changed, but there were browsers used to cost money and people paid money for Netscape and nobody would buy Microsoft's because it was so bad. So Microsoft said, Hey, let's give it away and let's build our entire operating system around it. And I remember, um, when Windows 98 came out, there was this, there was a way you could go and it was like 50 steps you had to go through to break the association between IE and Windows and you could substitute then Netscape, which was really your only other choice. But um basically if you took IE out of Windows, you were left with Windows 3.1 is kind of what it amounted to. But there I remember because there were people I was doing uh phone based support on the time and there were people who did not want IE for any reason. And I, I found this thing, you know, you had to change the program you had to change the shell um and then you had to go in and you had to edit this file. You had to go into this registry setting in that file and do this and do that and all this and it was like a humongous process but at the very end you were left with windows 98 uh having ie cut out of it and it's kind of like you know having a human body with no muscles it's just kind of you know there's some bones protruding here and there and you can't do much so you could then do um you know like netscape or something else at the time but anyway 1997 um what is that 16 years ago Ish, ish. Uh, this week in history, and that uh, that lawsuit and the the things that came along with it really crushed Microsoft. They've never been the same since. Um, right. They. It's if you're a, a student of the company, you don't have to be a fan of it. Just if you if you studied it, they they had a swagger back before that we, we are microsoft resistance is futile we whatever we do is golden we are awesome and that that court case dragged out not only in the u.s but in, in like 30 countries over the world for the better part of a decade and a half yeah and uh it crippled the company and they are now they're still huge but they're not relevant anymore um and you know well, we, we talked about it a little it, while back we're hoping they get their swagger back a little bit. at least i am yeah. Well, and because of it, though, the, the the cost of, you know, think if if that would have not, that case would have not have been such a big case. So, you know, that's a pretty big pill to swallow there. But if that wouldn't have been, and they would have took that money and put it into R&D, what would they have actually come up with then? If they would actually put that, that money that they used to fight that legal battle for research and development? You know, maybe there would have been something actually very impressive coming out of it. Yeah, maybe Vista wouldn't fight. have sucked, or maybe we. Yeah, it's, be a gov- it's George touch, Bush's fault. Vista you know. sucks. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, moving right along now to the totally non-tech part of the show, the coffee talk. Um, <laughs> just a a, a a a little background. We've talked about this before. I um. I don't do anything halfway. If I'm going to do something, I throw myself all into it. And I've been, uh, for the last, uh, I started in March, so uh, seven months now, I've been experimenting with uh, various um, 
coffee methodology. So here, here's the history of it. I'm not a coffee drinker. I wasn't a coffee drinker. I didn't didn't like coffee. I tried lots of different coffees from the, you know, just diner brew to the fancy mocha frappa java crappa things uh, that you get <laughs> at the specialty stores. Um, and I just didn't, the, You by the time they were palatable, there was enough milk and cream and sugar and, and chocolate in it to have been a milkshake, right? So I, I might as well have just gone to, you know, the Dairy Queen and gotten a milkshake at that point. Uh, and and that's that's the way a lot of people that's the way most of the world i think drinks their coffee because coffee doesn't taste very good it's a nasty drink and you learn to like it right you learn to tolerate it people say oh i i love my coffee no you don't you don't love coffee you like the caffeine and you can tolerate the coffee um, mm-hmm. and, no you get nobody, addicted to it and your addiction takes over yes there is that um so nobody takes a sip of coffee for the first time in their life and goes this is awesome no Nobody does that. Same thing with beer. It's an acquired taste, which means you learn to overlook the fact that it's nasty. So anyway. There you go. uh, So, you know, I had watched the coffee culture, which is huge now. Certainly um, in the the 90s and and beyond, uh, grew into, um, uh, you know, just this huge thing in the U.S. It was a whole culture of it, but it's been around for a long time. But anyway, so I'd always watch this, and uh, I I found some coffee. I heard about it on a podcast, on a Leo Laporte podcast, uh, called The Black Blood of the Earth. A fellow by the name of Philip Bruton uh, makes this brew that is just super smooth and, and really delicious. And uh, so I bought some of it for Aaron, former fat guy, uh, former noob in residence here on this show. Um, for his birthday last year, last uh, February, uh, and I, I bought him some, and he raved about it. I tried some. I really liked it. So this was coffee that I not only could I drink it, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Uh, trouble is, it's very expensive. It was, it was uh, 85 bucks a quart, and then you got to ship it. And because it's a perishable product, it has to ship it, uh, you know, overnight uh, or or next business day at the at the slowest. Uh, so you add another thirty bucks on top of that. So you're looking at a hundred dollars or more for a quart of coffee. Now it's a it's an extract, so that quart of coffee makes um, about thirty cups of coffee. So you know, if you have one a day, it could last you a month. Well, I didn't stop it one a day and my wife started drinking it too because she liked it and we blew through that hundred dollar bottle in like two weeks okay remember that whole tightwad part Oof. that i was talking about that's, earlier that's expensive <laughs> yeah i'm not going to spend two to three hundred dollars a month on coffee i'm just not going to do it no matter how much i like it so i tried to figure out how to do it myself i did some research i dove into the coffee culture and i started learning about what coffee is and how it works. And so here are a few things that I learned. Uh, the coffee, you know, coffee is a, a bean uh, in much the same way that uh, chocolate is a bean. Um, and you're interested in extracting the stuff out of the bean. One of, one of the things I, I like to joke about is coffee is where you cook a bean, then you throw the bean away and, dr- and drink the water that you cook the bean in. And that's essentially the way it goes. You're extracting the tea is the same way. You cook some leaves and then throw the leaves away and drink the water. So, yep. When you when you extract coffee, particularly with like espresso or just your morning drip coffee, uh, the heat is a large part of the process. It speeds it up. Nobody wants to wait on their coffee, particularly in the morning when you got the caffeine headache and you're trying to get out the door. Nobody wants to wait for coffee. So everything that we've done over the like the last fifty years for coffee has been about f- speeding up that process. Um, 
We've made our, 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 we've processed our beans more. We've, we've, uh, ground them more finely. We've, we've worked on the, the, the filters and everything and make it faster. And then, you know, espresso, uh, for example, uses high heat and high pressure to really just squeeze everything out of the bean. Trouble is a lot of the stuff you squeeze out of the bean. And some of the reports I read said up to like 55 uh, to 60% of the stuff you squeeze out of the bean is nasty. It's, uh, it's bitters and, and it's tannins and it's, and it's acids. And it's the stuff that people don't like about coffee. So it's like the 45% is the stuff that you actually want. Now, I, I know some people like bitter coffee. Some people, particularly like in uh, New Orleans, like to add chicory to their coffee to make it even more bitter. Um, but those, they're just crazy. You know, that's what happens when you live on, on vodka and bourbon. <laughs> but, hey, what's wrong with yeah, vodka and, and bourbon? you live below sea level. You can't yeah, be sane and go to sleep under the ocean and expect to wake up alive. So that just explains New Orleans right there. So anyway, I'm going through this really quickly just to, to get the history. So the, these are the, the things that I learned is, is heat is actually the enemy of a smooth cup of coffee. So we talk about smooth with no bitterness and no acidity. Um, and the way, the way I describe my coffee is co- it tastes like coffee smells. So a lot of people, I, I used to be the guy who said it, I love the smell of coffee. I just wish it tasted that good. Well, those, those aromas that you're getting, the, uh, the aromatics are the, the oils, that's the good stuff. Uh, but when you, when you add heat and you add pressure, you squeeze out, uh, the other stuff other than just the good stuff. So heat is the enemy and pressure is the enemy. So the real flavor is actually in the oil. So you've got to get that oil out, but you've got to do it in a, in a, in a cold process. So the, if you give up heat, heat makes it faster. Um, so you have to add a lot of time, a lot more time. So instead of your five-minute uh, uh, drip coffee in the morning, uh, you've got to add a whole lot more time without the heat. And also surface area is important. The finer the grind, the more water can touch the bean, the more you can get out of it, which is, uh, you know, that's why espresso grind is super fine because you're running it through that packed uh, espresso in, you know, just a matter of seconds. You want to get all the flavors out of it. So it's a super fine grind. So these are all things that I learned as I researched, uh, you know, what is it that makes coffee good coffee? When people say good coffee, what do they mean? What are they looking for? And when you know you you research the the best coffees in the world, what is it? And it it all really boils down to the oil content. Uh, it's the same in cocoa uh, to to get chocolate. It's that that cocoa butter uh, that you really want. That's the the rich flavors, and the the things that are more oily are better. Uh, so all the drying process and the roasting process, the roasting process is all about breaking down the the fibers in the coffee to get those oils to release. Uh, so it all comes down to that. So you got to get those oils out. So here's the process that after months of experimentation, I came out with. You use an espresso uh, grind, a super fine grind of coffee, and you mix it equal parts by volume with water. So a cup of grounds, cup of water to make a two cup slurry. And, and you put it in a cold place. Back of a fridge will do fine. Uh, I found the butter zone for temperature to be about 40 degrees, which is great because that's what most fridges run. Uh, uh, any warmer and you, you might start to get some off flavors. Any colder and it's going to take longer to extract the flavors. So you don't need to, you don't want to freeze it and you, you don't want it uh, to get uh, any warmer than like refrigerator temperature. And you throw it in there and the time that I found 
that's perfect is about 96 hours, about four days. So you can go longer, but you're, you're diminishing returns. So five days doesn't taste a lot better than four days. Six days doesn't taste a lot better than four days. Seven days doesn't taste a lot better than four days. So four days is, is like maximum uh, extraction at that one-to-one ratio. Um, maybe if you put less water in, you could do it less time. I haven't really gone that far. I just, I found what works and stuck with it. Uh, less than 48 hours, uh, 96 hours, less than four days, uh, you can tell a, a, a distinct lessening in the intensity of the flavor. So that was my process. I, you know, mason jars are cheap and easy to get here in the South. Uh, so I, I use some uh, two-quart mason jars, one quart of coffee, uh, one quart of water, done. Uh, and a pound of coffee will, f- will fill um, usually a two-quart jar and a one-quart jar. Uh, depending on the grind of the coffee. So there you go. So I throw those in the fridge. I leave them there for four days. Then what? Now you've got to get this really thick. Seth, you know anybody in East Texas will know exactly the texture I'm talking about when I talk about blackland mud. That's what you get. It's, it is this um, yeah, Mississippi mud. If you're familiar, it's similar. It's uh, uh, brick clay, pottery clay. It maybe it's that kind of texture. It's 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 really thick, but it can flow like liquid if it's a really uh, really thick liquid. But there's no discernible water. It's not wet. Um, it's hard to describe the texture of it. But that's what you're in. What you end up with after four days, the beans uh, soak up the water and it becomes sort of a a new gelatinous sort of non-Newtonian fluid kind of thing. Kind of um, like ice cream then, like soft serve. Uh, thicker than that, uh, less watery. Okay. Um, so it's it would be really just a big clump of, of wet mud is about as good as I can get, but not like sandy soil mud. It's got to be really Ooh. fine how, mud. How about like a pudding? Pudding? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wet, wet uh, uh, gypsum. Like if you've made concrete, the wet concrete. Um, yep. uh, the the actual cement that goes in the concrete, something like that. Brick mortar. It's 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 like that. Um. And then there comes the challenge of how do you get the water out of that? Uh, so the first thing I did was I just stuck it in a filter and waited. Uh, it's not going to work. It's too tightly bound. Gravity isn't going to be enough to do the job. Uh, you could leave that for days, as I did, and you're still you're going to get some water. You're going to get a lot of water out of it, but the, remembering the oils are what we want. So you don't actually get the good stuff out until all the water is out, and then you got to pull out the rest of it. The water just gets in the way at that point. Um, so uh, I learned that uh, Philip Bruton, to make his Black Water of the Earth, he mentions he, he uses a vacuum process. That's all he says. So I started researching. Um, he's a he's a, a, a physicist. Um, so I started researching laboratory-grade vacuum. What might he have done? So I'm trying to to replicate his process. So I learned uh, about a Buchner funnel, uh, which is a, a porcelain, usually sometimes plastic, but usually porcelain funnel with a flat bottom and holes in it. You put filter paper on it and then you stick it into the top of a, uh, um, a vacuum flask, which is just a flask with a cork in it. And then an, uh, an offshoot where you can suck air out. So you suck air out of the flask, create a vacuum there, which pulls the liquid down through the funnel. So, Went to elementopi.com slash Amazon, bought a Buchner funnel and a laboratory flask and what's called a Venturi aspirator. A Venturi aspirator uses uh, the Venturi principle that you can run water through uh, a narrow opening and it will create a vacuum. 
So you just run water through the uh, the the Venturi aspirator and it creates a suction and that pulls the coffee through. So I did that and that was okay, but I still had a hard time getting everything out. My brown my goal was to have dry beans when I'm done, as dry as possible after soaking for four days. I want to get all that stuff out of it. So I, in just a Tim Taylor moment one day, thought, what happens if I stick my shop vac on the end of this vacuum flask? So I got some some different types of hoses, some rubber tubing, and you know put the big one inside the the smaller one and, and down until I had something that would go from my two inch uh, opening on my uh, shop vac to the uh, quarter inch opening on the vacuum flask, and I flipped the switch, and suddenly stuff just started pouring out of that funnel, um, and that was all <laughs> the stuff that I wasn't getting before. And I was like, all right, I found this. More power. That's the answer. So I threw away the Venturi aspirator. Who needs that anymore? Forget this science stuff. We're going to go shop class on it. Um, and so I did that for a while. And and then I started experimenting with the, the filter medium. I started using uh, laboratory-grade filter paper. Um, and I found that that stuff would clog just almost immediately. And once the filter's clogged, you're done. It just, it just it's like pinching off the uh, hose or closing a valve, you're not going to get anything through it. So it would, it would take me uh, four or five hours to filter a quart of coffee at that point. It was just, it was a ridiculous process. So I started experimenting with different filter medium. If it's too, too fine, uh, it gets clogged. If it's too coarse, you let the grounds through and end up with like muddy stuff that you got to filter again before you can pour it into a glass. Uh, so that, that wasn't, and what I've, found and i've mentioned it on the show before the actual best filter to use for co- filtering coffee is a coffee filter surprise surprise the guys who made those things knew what they were doing so the plain awesome. old grocery store unbleached coffee filter stuck down inside a, a glass uh, a porcelain buchner funnel stuck inside uh, an erlenmeyer flask hooked up to a shop vac yeah baby <laughs> <laughs> you know i was going to ask you um I should, we should have asked for pictures for this one because that would have been enta- entertaining to see. I have a lot of pictures, and someday, one of these days, I'm going to actually post them all on my website that I created for this. I haven't, I, I'm not going to make any promises. Um, I'm a busy guy, and that gets pushed down the list almost every day. But I've got a bunch of pictures I've taken every step along the way as my rig has grown. So uh, I will be posting those, I promise, at some point. Okay. Uh, so. The trouble is now I needed a bigger flask. I wanted to, to, to go up because, so I, like I said, it's a one-to-one, right? So for filtering a quart of liquid, I only get half a quart of, of usable stuff. And that's, that's not much. You know, I'm looking for something that's, that's going to be a little more than that. So I, I, looked to, I went to scale up. So I went back to elementopi.com slash Amazon. And started looking for bigger Buchner funnels and bigger uh, Erlenmeyer flasks. And the prices went way up. So I had a, a one liter funnel that I paid like 14 bucks for. To go up to a two liter was like 114 bucks. It was just a, an order of magnitude jump. Okay, remember, posit number one, tightwad. This isn't going to happen. So I started thinking, all right, let's, let's low tech this thing. Let's let's Southern engineer this. What can I do? How can I emulate a Buchner funnel? So a Buchner funnel is just a flat uh, bottomed funnel with uh, holes in the bottom of it that you use a filter on. 
And so I, I spent weeks just looking around the hardware store and the 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 grocery store and, and everywhere, the craft store, just looking for something. And then I had a, a moment of inspiration one day. A one-gallon tea pitcher that I bought at Walmart for 97 cents. Just a clear plastic tea pitcher. Cut a hole in the bottom of it, put a sink drain. Just a cheap $1 from Home Depot sink drain in the bottom of it. Screwed it on real tight, siliconed it up. Instant Buchner funnel. Okay. So okay. I have a, I have a I have a flat bottom with holes in it, and I have something that'll hold a gallon. This is all it's food grade, all right. So the this stainless steel, probably the silverware you ate on today was stainless steel. So is the the sink parts. So it's all perfectly safe. PVC pipe. Most municipal uh, uh, munis, munis, municipalities in the world carry their drinkable water over PVC pipe to your house at some point on the line. So this is all totally food grade, totally safe, and you can do it at the hardware store. So, tea pitcher, 97 cents at Walmart. Um, a sink strainer, <laughs> buck and a half at Walmart. Couple of pieces of PVC pipe, um, couple bucks at the Home Depot. So, that's my rig. And and so if you've ever installed a dishwasher in a sink, you know that there's a a drain line that comes in from the dishwasher to the main drain. And so you got a piece of pipe with a little offshoot off of it, which looks surprisingly like the arm on an Erlenmeyer flask when you look at it. So you stick your hose that I had done on that thing. Instead of pulling water, pouring water in, you pull air out. So now all I need is just a sealed something at the bottom of it, just like on the Erlenmeyer flask. So what would I, what, what would I do? I went back to my mason jars. Lo and behold, they're exactly the right size. So using an X-Acto knife, I cut out the top of the lid of a mason jar and screwed on a PVC joint pipe. So if anybody's ever joined any PVC, you know there's compression fittings, right? So I pushed the hole through there, and I've got the compression fitting, and I screwed it on there. Boom. Airtight. I dropped the ring down over that from the mason jar, screwed it on. I've got an airtight, vacuum-sealed system. The whole thing costs like 9 bucks, and I can filter a gallon of coffee through it. Nice. <laughs> Seth is shaking his head at this. Uh, Seth, I thought of anybody you would be impressed by this engineer. No, I am impressed. It's it's awesome. I I'm just I'm just shaking my head in disbelief, <laughs> not in uh, you know I, you've blown my mind. You know I, I it, wow. That's just all there is to it. So it's, I'll try to. I mean, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I don't. <laughs> you you you're you're genius. Well, this is mu- I'm explaining to you in minutes, but it was months of experimentation to get to this point. So I'll I'll try to remember to post at least a couple of pictures with this episode, so that you'll be able to see uh, what I've got there. So now my rig, T pitcher, drain, couple of pieces of PVC, um, uh, mason jar, shop vac. Shop vac. By the way, I got one of those little two gallon like made for vacuuming out a car for 20 bucks so right now my whole rig is like 50 bucks worth of stuff including a couple little tv trays from walmart to set stuff on so like the whole thing you can start from zero to to having this done for 50 bucks or less uh awesome and so the next problem i ran into was the filtration again so i put my coffee filter in there and a sink drain is only like an inch and a half wide. 
So the, the, the filter would bunch up in there and clog up and I'd be right back where I started from. So again, filter medium is the problem. So I needed something uh, stouter, you know, but where am I going to find something that's stiffer but still porous? Um, and so again, months of trips to the hardware store, just scanning up and down the aisles. Finally, the guys stopped asking me if they could help me because they just reckon, oh, that's the guy who's just like inventing in his head as he walks down the aisles. <laughs> and it came to me, inspiration, the the metal plate that goes on a shower drain. Okay, so I can get mm-hmm. one of those in a, in a four-inch length, exactly the same size as the uh, bottom of the tea pitcher. So I take two filters. I wrap one around it uh, and fold it up under it, and then I take another one and put the folded side inside that and fold it up, and then I've got a little disc. That it can't compress because the metal, the stainless steel, keeps the the filter from being sucked down into the drain, and it better emulates the the holes in it better emulate the the Buchner funnel. So I've got my filter media with the holes in it. I just drop that down in there, and it seals. Uh, once uh, it it kind of floats a little bit. Once I pour some water into it, the water presses it down because it's it's uh, not an easily permeable medium so the gravity of the water does the job for me and it creates a nice little seal and it stops clogging the filter so i take my uh two quarts now of coffee that i made uh with a a pound of coffee and i dump it in uh and i spill a little every time (laughs) and and then i flip the switch and and it goes and it's perfect and now i can filter all the way down and get all the oils and everything out in like an hour um, so I've, I've, I've accelerated, accelerated my process, uh, you know, 500% at this point. But then I had the issue of, of, uh, coffee foams that if, if, uh, if you've ever had a good, a really good latte or a good espresso, you know, the, the, the barista can even make art in the foam on the coffee. And that's, that's the oils in the coffee. Well, pulling it through that filter really agitates those oils and it foams up a lot. So I had a problem with, hmm with losing stock down into my shop vac, it would get sucked up in the hose uh, and go down into the shop vac. So I had the idea of, well, I need some sort of, of, of trap, right? And, and it's a, you know, a grease trap, a lint trap. You've seen these sort of traps built everywhere. So I modified my rig a little bit. So now a hose comes out of the pipe into another mason jar with just two pieces of pipe sticking into it an intake and an outtake. And I screw that on. So just just the regular mason jar thing with with two quarter-inch pieces of hose in. So the air sucks out of one. The coffee comes in the other, falls down, gets trapped, because you know, the gravity uh, pulls it down, and then the air sucks out the rest. So I have an overflow chamber. So if I fill up my initial thing, and I can manipulate that now. So I can use, I can chain overflow chambers if I need to, or I can manipulate the size where I can filter any amount of coffee regardless of the size of my initial vessel. I can fill that up. It's not a problem. The suction just pulls the liquid over into the next vessel. So now if I daisy chain those things, I could easily do, you know, five gallons, 10 gallons of coffee at a time, just swapping out the cheap pitchers. So I have uh, several pitchers, right? I fill one up, I run it through, I unscrew it, set it aside, pop another one on, and I can mass produce. The next thing I'm working on, I haven't haven't done it yet, is I want I want this to scale up using like five gallon paint buckets. I want to be able to put five gallons of mixture in at a time and filter it all at once. 
same rig. I just got to, you know, uh, change the, the end device, the, the, the hopper and the collector, essentially. Everything right, else will right. stay the same. So that's my next process. So that's it. That's the rig. It's, um, it's a T-pitcher and some bombing parts and a couple of mason jars. Everything is food safe. Everything is non-toxic. I used uh, kitchen-grade non-toxic silicon to, to seal all my joints to keep any leaks out. Uh, and it works amazingly well. And people keep telling me I need to sell this stuff. And I'm like, you know, maybe I will someday. But right now I'm just traving, traving, having trouble keeping up with my own demand. Because you got to soak it for four days, and you got to set aside a couple of hours to set up and tear down and clean up and all that. So it's really a five day process to make a week's worth of coffee. So I, you know, I have to keep. So that's why I'm wanting to scale up my um, uh, process. Because what I've read online is this stuff in this condensed state can last three to five months. Um, wow. So um, I don't have to worry about. Um, spoilage i can do a month or two months supply at a time throw it in the fridge and and it's good so that's that's my rig right now and at some point you know i hope to maybe be selling this stuff and somebody asked me one time why why how can you open source all this knowledge about how to do it and then sell it and i liken that to beer everybody knows how to make beer if you don't know how to make beer five minutes on the internet can teach you how to make beer but that hasn't been a problem for Sam Adams or Anheuser Busch or anybody else. It's the doing of it. How many people are mm-hmm. actually going to take five days to make coffee as opposed to just going out and buying a bottle of the stuff? So I think that's fine. I'm going right. to make. I'm right. committed to make all of this knowledge available. And I, and if I decide to sell it, uh, I don't think it will hurt my business any at all. So if you're into coffee, I just gave you the blueprints of how to do it. And if you go to uh, the the website crazycoffee.us, it's, there's not a whole lot there right now, but that's where I will be documenting more. By the way, the name, I explained my process to a friend of mine, and he said, dude, that's crazy. And I thought, that's the name of the product, Crazy Coffee. There it is. Right there. Because um, it is. Is it's it a with cr- a C or a K? With a C, crazycoffee.us. Uh, so it is a, it's a crazy process to go through. But once you've had this stuff, it's not like any coffee you've ever had. And my personal favorite is Kona, Hawaiian Kona coffee. It's a, it's a, a very uh, mild, uh, um, smooth coffee to begin with. And then once you put it through this process and super concentrated, it is a freaking amazing. Um, and I can get it. Uh, I found a, a farm in Hawaii, Smith Farms. They'll ship it to me. Uh, their, their super estate uh, uh not the pea berry grade, the, the highest grade they can get is uh, like $46 a pound. And then they ship it uh, on top of shipping ends up being about $50 a pound. That's a little steep, but man, is it good. But mm-hmm. I can go down to my grocery store and there's Kona coffee there uh, for about uh, $30 a pound. Okay. I can live with that. $30 a pound of coffee will make me uh, about two or three weeks uh, worth of, of coffee for me and my wife. So you figure uh, two weeks, $30, 15 bucks a week, um, $3 a day. Most people pay more than that for a cup of Starbucks a day. Um, yeah. So it's a totally, it's reasonable for high-end coffee, and that's what we're talking about. This is coffee I put a very little bit of cream in just because I like it and a very little bit of sugar in it, not because it needs it, just because I like it sweet. It's, but it's coffee you can drink straight. And a lot of people that I've tried it uh, or shared it with drink it straight and cold, just like in a shot glass, straight and cold. Um, and a byproduct of all of this is not only do I get all the good flavors out, 
but man, do I get the caffeine out. Um, and it's, so it's super constant. Basically, you're taking this pound of coffee and you're making a, a quart, a, a half to two quarts of liquid out of it. So it's, it's a month's worth of coffee uh, in two quarts. So it's, it's really, it's not, you know, it's not going to kill you strong, but it's pretty strong. You get, there's a definite buzz uh, when you drink it. So good flavor, good caffeine hit, and a fun science experiment all in one shot. And you get really good fertilizer when you're all done. <laughs> yes, I've I've been just uh, putting the stuff down the drain. But yes, absolutely, you you could do that um, with with the ground. So that that's my next step is just uh, probably next weekend I'm going to work on that scaling it up. I'm going to build a rig, uh, and there's a place up the street from me that is a a, a craft beer place. So I know they're going to have the big five gallon buckets with the with the faucet already in them. Uh, so I'll be able to pick up that sort of stuff for, for beer making and just modify it a little bit, cut a hole in it, put a drain in it, bingo. Uh, I've got it for, for my coffee pr- uh, production. So there it is. There's everything you wanted to know about the, the coffee that I have talked about in the future. Um, like I said, anyway, Kona, Kona is my favorite. Good old-fashioned Colombian Juan Valdez is pretty darn good. And then, you know, whatever you like. Uh it, say you like the Starbucks, um, uh, what is it? Seattle, I can't forget what it is. It's their their uh, super strong blend. Say you like that and you think this will be good uh, d- doing the, done this way. What I found is the, the flavor profile is entirely different. You can't just say, I like this coffee hot and brewed in a normal way. It's going to be good here. Sometimes it accentuates the really nasty stuff. Like I tried a Peruvian blend that uh, when I tried it hot, wasn't bad. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. When I did it my way, it tasted like dirt, literally like dirt. It was like drinking mud. Um, it just mm-hmm. had a really earthy quality to it. Um, and a couple of people uh, I, I let try that really liked that. They liked that earthy, earthy flavor. I, I didn't at all. Uh, but what's interesting is it, it kind of it turns everything on its end. What you... What you know you like you may not like and what you think you don't like you may like because it it totally changes the the flavor profile but just you can experiment you know there's a starbucks right down the road from me they sell coffee for like 12 bucks a pound so i've just gone through their whole thing just to see what i like the kenyan is pretty good mm. i like it uh the sumatran dark roast i didn't like that at all the french roast i thought tasted like ash uh, i didn't like that at all um uh, but you know you just got to figure out uh, uh, what you like. But for me, uh, Kona and Colombian are the standouts. Hmm. Interesting. Huh. So any questions or comments about that? I rushed through I'm, that, and this I'm is really still going to be a two-hour show. I'm intrigued. Let's put it that way. I'm actually thinking about trying, you know, maybe maybe not recreating, because I don't like coffee as much as you seem to. But uh, well, See, that's the thing. Maybe, I never did either. I never drank coffee before uh, I drank this stuff. I didn't like it at all. Uh, so, you know, for people to say, I don't like coffee, you, you just don't know if you like it or not. Maybe. Maybe I'll bite the bullet and buy a, a, the sampler pack from Furnum, from the, the Blackwood of the Earth, yeah. and see if it's... Yeah. To see if it's something that's even close to what I want to try, but ugh, fifty bucks is is pretty steep for someone who <laughs> doesn't drink coffee at yeah. all. Yeah, Funranium Labs. Uh, that's where you can go. Uh, where Philip Bruton has already done all the work. He's he's mm-hmm. the the master at whose knee I am studying. 
without yeah and he doesn't even know that you're studying from him at right. this rate right. <laughs> and and i've looked I've, I've gone online there are other people who make a cold brew coffee that i can't remember the name of one of them but they sell it in a um you know those those mouthwash things where you squeeze them up and it it uh, it gives you a perfect oh, yeah. portion. Well, they yeah. sell a coffee version of that in a plastic jug. There's a there's a like a one ounce shot glass built on top of it. You squeeze it up and and that's their thing. And theirs is a lot cheaper than the Funranium Labs one. Um, so you might you might want to check that. Out. I can't remember what it is, but just do a, a search for cold brewed coffee. Uh, and and there are other people out there doing it. It's not unique in the marketplace. I didn't discover anything. I just took my own voyage of discovery uh, and found what other people have already found. So, Mark, do you drink it cold or do you heat it up? The way I like to drink it is um, uh, half and half. Half this stuff, half hot water um, with a shot of cream and a little sugar. I I don't like it cold. I mean, I don't dislike it cold, but I find that heat um, brings out some of the flavors better. Um, and I started out drinking like t- uh, 25% to 75%, so one part to three parts water. And over time, I've I've started taking it stronger and stronger. Uh, my wife can't drink mine. She says it's way too strong. Uh, so it just depends on what you like. It is super, super strong uh, because it's so concentrated. So you don't want to just start out with a cup of this, nuke it. No, that, that would be bad. Um, <laughs> right. But I have a 20-ounce thermos. Uh, and I put uh, like four ounces of that in and then uh, 10 ounces or so of water and then a little cream and a little sugar and shake it up and I'm good to go. So that's that's huh. how I do it. Very interesting. And so once it's Very, done, yeah. the, uh, like at work, we have a, a Keurig machine at work. So you push a button, you get hot water instantly. So I keep this some of this in my fridge at work. I pour some into my coffee mug. I go in there. I push the button. Boom! Instant coffee. Uh, so huh. you know all the work is done. You don't even have to you know just however long it takes for the Keurig to push the hot water through. Uh, is you know in the mornings when I'm huh. ready to go, microwaving the coffee, the water to make the coffee is the slowest part. What I've learned is you don't want to microwave the coffee. You want to add hot water to cold coffee. You you don't want to put cold water, cold coffee together and and heat it. That destroys the flavor it gets too hot that way you want to keep it that probably flares the the tannins and everything up you want to keep it at like 190 or less which is still too hot to drink 190 is super hot uh, but you you can get your boiling cup of water and pour it into you know cold coffee extract and that brings the temperature to a nice comfortable temperature Hmm. Hmm. very very interesting I'll I'll have to experiment myself and see if it's something I can stand or not. Yeah, and I would love to hear from you know from the audience you know based on this podcast I started playing with it myself and and I like it or I don't like it I don't really care if you like it or not just get out there and learn something new experiment that's what this started out for me it's just a science experiment the benefit the side benefit was I found a drink I liked um, but that wasn't what I set out to do yeah. Well, when I was I was just doing a quick Google search of cold coffee, um, I see that they somebody has figured has done the same thing with tea. You know, doing yeah. the, the the extraction process on a tea like that. So that'd be an interesting one for me because I love tea. Now the question is 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 the cold extraction process that they do for the cook for the coffee is it just as good for me and my tea love or is it different? Yeah, I don't know. 
I haven't done any research on the chemistry and physics of tea, so I don't know. I would say it's pretty close to being the same. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll see if I can find some that's worth that makes me uh, intrigued enough to pull the trigger in, in buying some. Uh, but what surprises people when they see the like the coffee in the bottle that, that I carry with me or when I pour it is how oily it is. It's viscous. It sticks to the glass when you pour it. And mm. that's that's the good stuff. That's the stuff most people leave behind in their filter uh, when they're drinking their coffee. And, and it's a darn shame. Very cool. <sighs> a very good experiment then. Yes. <laughs> All right. So there, there you go. There's my coffee talk uh, for you. And what is probably going to be the longest show we've ever done. So there you go. The people who complain about not enough Linux and shows too long, this show is for you. Because it's the longest show we've ever done, (laughs) not about Linux. So let's jump into our links of the week and go straight to it. Seth, what you got for us? Is it chat this week? No, um, I love chat, as everyone knows. But I found this... Uh, it's a slideshow on itworld.com and it's 20 historic tech sounds you may have forgotten. So it's kind of a trip down memory lane. One of them is, you know, what does a modem sound like? What does a floppy drive sound like spinning in a drive? What do the different things of Windows sound like as they boot up throughout history? Um, anyway, it's just something to watch. Um, uh, you know, we, you, you caught me just so everyone know. I was, uh, finishing up overtime at work at four o'clock and I see this email from Mark and Chris. Hey, we could do a show today. And I was like, I might can be ready in three hours. And did I mention it's an hour and 15 minutes from my house to work? So sorry, guys. This is the best I have today. Yesterday's technology sound. It's still pretty cool. It's still pretty cool. <clears throat> yeah. There's a whole generation yeah, of not, people. You know, there's a whole generation of people who don't know that that you could even connect via a, a landline on a computer, and they certainly don't know what yeah. it sounds like. That that, that deafens you. They, they've never heard that. Yeah, they well, the don't understand. Sound You've got mail. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. The know. sound of a Polaroid. Nobody, nobody knows that sound. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's not William Shatner. It's not setting up a circus in your backyard. But, you know, I think it's pretty cool. It's all right, Seth. Don't apologize for the awesomeness you bring. There are different levels of awesomeness, but it's always awesome. Um, And this is the part of the show where I tell you, if you would like to feed back to us, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like, tell us what you want to see, just tell us off. Whatever you want to do, elementop.com is the place to do that. There's a contact us button at the top of the page that you can use, or there's uh, uh, the uh, um, email, uh, edl at elementop.com. We'll go to all of us, or Mark at elementop, Chris at elementop, uh, yada, yada, yada. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter and the Google+. Plus. Frankly, we don't post anything there except, hey, there's a new show, so don't expect much, but it's there if you want to know where the new show is. Elementopi.com, that's the place to go. Or if you want to leave us a voicemail and be on the show in a very real way, 559-IAM-OPI, anywhere in the continental North American landmass, or you can just send me a, a an MP3 or an OGG file. Uh, that's good enough, too. And uh, we love to hear from you. Keep the show topics coming. And uh, always also don't forget uh, if you're doing any shopping uh, this holiday season and you plan to buy it on Amazon, please use elementopi.com slash Amazon. Doesn't cost you anymore. Kicks a couple of bucks our way. So um, 
I think that's all I got to say, guys. Anything else before we say goodnight? No, it pretty much covers everything. No. Just come on back and uh, let's uh, have some more fun next week. All right. Tune in next week where you'll hear Chris say, Ooga Booga. <laughs> And that ends this episode of Everyday Life.